Hey there, Ducast listeners. As always, we have a great guest lined up for you this week. We had the pleasure of spending time with Andrew Fiega, founder and financial advisor at Fiega Consulting. Uh, from second one of the interview, it was very clear that Andrew is beyond passionate about making a difference in his community and doing his part to make an impact. Simply, he helps clients reach their financial goals. But much more than that, he cares deeply about his clients and setting them up for success. He also has worked with countless nonprofits to do the same and really ensure that they're ready to make an impact. Disclosure, securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Steve Roseman and Courtney Luce are not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. The information presented by Steve and Courtney are solely their responsibility and comments made may not necessarily reflect the opinion of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome to the Donate Podcast. As always, I am Courtney Luce, uh, here sitting with, again, as always, Steve Roseman. Hello. Uh, and we also have a really special guest, Andrew Fiega, with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Of Fiega Consulting. Correct, yes. Yes, awesome. In your own business, we were just talking about, there is a connection. There is. I'm, <laughs> I'm the founder, yes. Yeah, they didn't find you and say that, hey, we need you to work here because the name matches. That would be a very interesting story, but no. It's, Wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your yeah. company, awesome. And also hear that your wife works for you as well. She does, yeah. Amazing. She's one of staff ones. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fun. Mm-hmm. It, it can be. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, it's a little bit more of a battle sometimes, but mm-hmm. there's the ultimate outcome. It's, it's fantastic having yeah. her on. So. Of course. Well, Number great. one employee right there. Yeah, employee of the month. For the, of the record, month. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she has a great marketing and advertising mindset, and I don't. Yep. I mean, I'm probably the furthest away from that. I am perfect match. Relationship help. Thing and I, I, but I, it's hard for me to know how to tell people how I help. So yep. that's what she's good for. Yeah. Great. Love yeah. yeah. Love that. Yeah. I also work ish with my husband and mm-hmm. it can be a lot of fun and yeah, also be absolutely. a lot of hard. Yeah. It can be. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, thank you for joining us today. We really want to um, just talk about how nonprofits can be better with both like donations, finances, because you're mm-hmm. in the finance world. And so, and you were saying that you were very passionate about this and we, we want to hear yeah. that heart behind behind what you're doing and, and how we can just better help nonprofits. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll be here to be whatever resource I can for you. Yeah. Both, so. yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate it. For those who don't know, we go way back. Absolutely. You know, good old fraternity 20, days. 22, 23 years. Yeah. Is it really yeah. that long? I always, it's crazy. I think about... Uh, those days and they're quite fun it's a, but it's always fun to you know look at you know i'm sure you do this too you, you see some of our fraternity brothers and you know what they've now become and not mm-hmm. only personality wise what they do and then it's funny to connect the dots so it's like man you were not that guy it's or oh, you yeah. were that guy and you are still that guy and, there uh, there is that too um, yeah yeah like we do our our annual delt golf outing uh, yeah. race weekend and when you see people like well I know these stories of how you acted when you were a junior or senior, and now you run a company. Um, People only knew. Things change, apparently. So, yeah, so that's good. It's always good. Yeah, the good old reminiscence. So, which brought us here, though. You know, you and I grabbed breakfast. We we got caught up, and Mm -hmm. 
you know, through sharing, you know, where we're at in the stages of our life, you know, uh, got to know that a big focus, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a big focus, not only career-wise and your, your business strategy path, but, mm-hmm. you know, a big passion of yours is, you know, working in the nonprofit space and with churches and mm-hmm. really help it, helping them financially, you know, and I'm going to categorize it as your goal, from what I understand, is to help them create a stable financial situation so they don't have to operate year to year and look month to month at their money to make their decisions that they can make their decisions based off their missions and you know how they want to operate is that that you couldn't be more correct on that and you've probably have seen this as you deal with different charities or not-for-profits when they simply start talking about why they need to raise funds or the struggles that they're having it's budget shortfalls you know a large donor has left what do we do how do we make this up but then also how do we do our outreach and our mission driving without funds to operate um and a lot of a lot of charities and not-for-profits don't have a good sound financial footing or the discipline to run it the right way so Mm -hmm. what my goal is is to educate them on how to do fiscal responsibility in-house but also give them the tools and the resources to make their mission a little bit more relatable to people so there is a desire from the public to want to donate or want to help in some way so what um what got you in to, oh, when did you make the mind shift of saying, okay, I help, and, and it's not just wealthy, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people think wealth management and, you know, financial planners and, you know, what title, whatever title you want to put on it, yeah. cater to wealthy individuals, mm-hmm. when in reality from, you know, because, you know, I left Indy for a couple of years, and when I came back, you know, I talked to, like, Jade and a few of our other friends yeah. that, you know, they do well for themselves, but... Most people, like when he said that you're helping him with his portfolio and things of that mm-hmm. nature, like it made me realize that, you know, the middle class um, needs advice as well. So that it doesn't matter what class I guess you're in. So I don't want to classify people, but to protect your money, you know, that's what, you know, essentially what you're doing. What was the mind shift of, saying, okay, I, I really want to help nonprofits. Going from, mm-hmm. hey, obviously, you leave people. Yeah. We used to have those clients. But mm-hmm. really looking at, hey, I really like this area over here, and I want to focus on that as well. Yeah. Um, it was a long question. It was a long-winded <laughs> question. I'm going to give you a longer-winded answer because it, it's, it's a long path that I've been on. Um, and it really started when I was really young. My family and I grew up on the uh, east side of Indianapolis, and if anybody knows the Irvington area, mm-hmm. um, I went to a Catholic school called Our Lady of Lords. And I don't know how we were there. My parents, if you can picture broke, the term broke and what you visualize with that, go way more broke than that. Yeah. Um, and that's where we were. Um, and I don't know how they made things happen. Later, I found out there were a lot of people or groups or churches that helped along the way. And then when we finally moved out to Knightstown, where I went to high school, um, conditions went, went along the same way. I remember vivid conversations where my mom is sitting on the couch crying, like, I don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage or how we're going to stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and they, they did a fairly decent job of shielding us from that, but it still left a very burning impact on what, what is going on here and what, what causes those things. So as I got into college, I started getting into the finance field, 
and starting to understand finance and advising. I guess when you were talking about earlier about what people do, where it turned for me is realizing that there, and when you look at the finance industry, there is sales positions and then there's advisory or advice side of finance. So this is probably going to come back to me at some point, but if you think of large companies and large portfolio people who deal with the really wealthy, um, some of these large institutional banks you think about, the names you hear on CNBC, they charge you a fee to manage your portfolio. Yep. And that's all they do. All they want to do is manage your money to hopefully make it more, a bigger, mm-hmm. a bigger pie. Yep. But that's only one of 15 different aspects of your life financially. Mm-hmm. And if somebody else is doing that for who's also keeping you in line with everything else, um, whether it be your insurance side, your group benefits, your philanthropy, um, your budget. I mean, mm-hmm. no, everybody underestimates the power of a budget. And I hate the word budget because people just negatively think about it. Yeah. Well, think about your cash flow. Like yeah, yeah, you, you can't really <laughs> overspend what you make. Right. And there's nobody really coaching on that. Mm-hmm. There's people who say they do and they send you an electronic budget and they never talk about it. So, but again, it's all about, I want to manage your portfolio because I'm going to make a ton of money off doing that. I mean, that's just, well, that's how the industry works. There's nothing wrong you know, with it. It's there's just, absolutely not. It's one of it's the one aspect of, of it. Yeah. And that's what I love is that they're so good at that. That's unbelievable. I mean, you, it's hard to take some of these big name banks and not give them credit for what they do. Yeah. Where it's different for me, though, is I have the more human aspect and what I, I care about every single client that I sit down with or people who become part of Fiega Consulting. I want to bring the entire big world of finance down to something that's manageable for them. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what our mission statement is, we want to help you make the right decisions at the right times for the right reasons so that you control your financial outcome, not being reliant on somebody else. Mm -hmm. And where it comes into the discussion of charity and where that kind of turned for me was I sat down with, I mean, obviously a plethora of clients from people who I work with who have networks of five thousand dollars to ex-CEOs of large fortune 500 companies fortune 500 companies in this area so when you deal with those people some people just inherently want to give and I've spent so much time trying to understand all the different ways people can do things products services tax loopholes you know all the different guidelines we have to abide by and how can you maximize what people do so I started working with some people who wanted to give, and then it started happening more and more. So it's not by me trying to promote it. It was people saying, hey, I want to do this. I want to give this money to this college of my late husband, or I want to leave this thing for my kids to start a family foundation. And then I just did it for them. Yeah. And it was like, wait a second. If you do things this way or jump through this tax loophole or abide by this rule, look at now what you can do. Yeah. And it just took them off guard. And I'm like, and the, the biggest part and the best part was it took me off guard. It's like, how am I not talking more about this? And then that dug back into my background is like, everything that people did for me and my family, like, I can do that for other people or show them how to do that for other people. Yeah. And it just, it just swelled up. And it was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm adding a different modality to FIEGA Consulting's mission. Now it's just not helping all these families do what they want financially. It's I have a personal goal through FIEGA Consulting to help people give $250 million away to different charities and not-for-profits. And it sounds like an ambitious goal, 
but in my head is well if i don't i get 200 million probably not a bad thing <laughs> but also it's like as this mission goes out what if that number because of the people it reaches it turns into 500 million mm-hmm. well i yep then it's yeah. just then it changes things mm-hmm. so yeah. have you seen a pattern and in say what you're allowed to say but just mm-hmm. in like different people with different economic statuses and you say you have clients everywhere from a five thousand dollar budget to these four to five hundred people mm-hmm. do you see a pattern of how much people give or are people just giving to give no matter how much they make in a year like what this is more for the nonprofit side yeah. like what should they only be going for these fortune 500 business owners mm-hmm. or are these people who don't make six figures in a year still giving a lot of their income? That's, that's one of the best questions about this topic that, the best thing it wasn't scripted, we didn't talk about this question, but that's an unbelievable question. Um, the answer is no, there really isn't patterns. But you can take all the data that's out there. You can find stuff from the Lilly Foundation who has mm-hmm. a great annual report they put out. There's so much information, so you can create whatever data points you want. But it doesn't really show that you know wealthier people give more. Mm-hmm. What I've found in my conversation, so this is only pertinent to me and the people that I have talked to, interviewed, built this plan around. Most people will give what they think they can, or what they're asked to. Um, for mm-hmm. example, like, a key. Right yeah, yes, absolutely. that's a yeah. key. Yeah. What they're asked to give. Right. Most people are never Sorry. asked. So they don't give. That's that's the exact thing. The interesting part about that question, though, is people all want to give. Mm-hmm. I, I I can say with almost 100% certainty that everybody I've talked to about charitable giving wants to. It's not 100%, but most people, I want to do something if I can, but I don't know if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be because I don't make enough money right now that if I can't really make you know a $100 contribution to the Breast Cancer Foundation. Like, well... Okay, but well, how does your situation all work out? How can we, you know, if that's important to you, how can we make that happen? Yeah. But everybody wants to give, which yeah. is very, very encouraging. Yep. So, yeah. But now how do you translate that to actually giving? That's the hard part. Yep. So. so this is actually, sorry, this is a good transition into the first question we talked about of how can nonprofits get their people to make a donation? Uh, what are some good strategies that they can use to to either get to the point to make that ask to figure out what their Mm -hmm. supporters want the technical side is I would probably have not-for-profits if they can if they can fund it do a feasibility study of people who are connected to that cause or mission Hmm. that'll allow a third-party company to come in and basically do a financial needs analysis of everybody they know through different providers internet options they can go and see who has the capacity to give. There, there's two ways I look at it. You're gonna know, in most scenarios, people can write a big check. You, know, you have somebody who is a multi-multi-millionaire, like, yeah, he could probably write a $100,000 check and it wouldn't bother him, or his accountant probably tells him, hey, you need to do this, we need a charitable deduction for you, go find something you like. The other thing where I think it plays more into a part is the people, the majority of people who give impactfully is going to be the people who want to, can, don't know how, aren't asked, but don't know how it really fits into their their life situation. Um, and there's a very, very interesting video 
um, out on YouTube. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Simon Sinek. Yeah. Have you ever heard Power of Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Have yeah. you read that one? Yeah. A lot of people think that's all business related, you know, how I can be successful. When I heard it, I actually got it from one of my mentors, uh, Brett Benson. Yeah. A great guy to talk to if you haven't done so yet. Um, I first saw that into the charitable side of, because he has this, uh, what he calls the golden circle. It's uh, how, what, and why. So most people talk to other people, and this is where it kind of will play into the charity, where they can really potentially start to see people give. Everybody knows what they do without a question. Like if you just want someone to say, what do you do? They can tell you pretty good detail what you do. Well, how do you do what you do is kind of the next question. And a large portion of people probably could tell you fairly accurately how they do. But ask the question of why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of prevalent in our society now where everybody's thinking, like, my passion or my mission. And, you know, I love that people are talking about that. But I think it's getting tossed around too loosely lately. It's just it's, it's a way to kind of get some attention, but there's not a lot behind it. But once you can start talking to people about why they want to do something. And when I start talking with people who donate to charity, it's like, it's not like, okay, we have this capacity. You know, you're, here's your net worth. Here's your income. You can do this. And like, okay, it's great. But when you start talking about, tell me, you know, the best things about your life and what they're centered around. You know, it's usually you see family, kids. Yep. And all of a sudden, charity start finding their way into it. Or I have this church that I belong to or, you know, I'm a 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I had a client in my office a couple days ago. Um, 10 years, I mean, an unbelievable milestone. Free and clear. And then one of her questions like, how do I, I want, I want to think about, I want to give some money to them. Mm-hmm. So it's, but when you start talking about people, that's about the things that are really, really important. And you start kind of just peeling the onion back. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting you talk about. Tell me why that's important. And also now you're going to start finding things that just, you're going to see people get choked up a little bit about, mm-hmm. that they can't talk about. There are times where I have clients cry in my office, and it's unbelievably powerful. And it's not at that point, once you find that why, it's not like, well, you know, how can I give it? It's like, how much can I give? How can I give more? And, it's, and it just it changes once you reach people on that level. Mm-hmm. So I have a question about that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I want to just dive in a little bit. Absolutely. For actionable, you know, takeaways here. Yeah. So I agree with everything you say. If I'm a charity, I'm like, Andrew, that's, that's great and everything, but I don't have time to talk to all my donors. Mm-hmm. That just takes up so to much time. To do study. Yeah. 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 What would you say to somebody who says that I don't have time to ask a donor why they give to me? My question would be, why don't you? And I agree it, with it's, that. It's, it's, it's really that easy. Like, if... What, what's the mission of the charity or the not-for-profit? If your mission is just to try to solicit $5,005 contributions, yeah, best way is just to go out and advertise and get people to push a button here on their phone and say donate, hashtag donate, whatever they do. Yeah, that's fine. But if you want to have people make impactful gifts, you can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's times when you, you can. I don't want to say definitely it doesn't happen, but where you see the most majority of impactful gifts, it's because there is a conversation, there is a connection, there is a want, and there's a way to show them to do so. And then ultimately there's the ask. 
because when you start asking on a one-on-one, you're digging into what's important to that person, mm-hmm. and they're going to make that thing happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Because, say, you take charities out of the concept of the question of the not-for-profits. When you talk to families and parents, what's the number one goal that they want to do in life, or, or fairly closely? I want to make sure my kids are always taken care of, and I will do whatever to make them have a better life than me. That's a pretty resounding yep. answer. Well, that's we know how that works, but... What if you just put share? Once you find a level into them, okay, say that's going to happen. What's the next thing you're going to do? You those type of gifts change organizations. So my question would be simply answered: Why are you not having yep. those? No, I maybe, agree. Maybe I just wanted to point that out because it's really important. People, you may pick a select number of people that you start like. You start getting some like I have these with ten people I know mm-hmm. that can really do some good. Yep. And then you see results, and then you go do some more. So you well, don't you, do it all across the board right away. Yeah, nonprofits can start seeing patterns, too, of people who really care about their cause because mm-hmm. they're not only going to give big checks or give monthly or, or mm-hmm. do that sort of impact. They're also going to give you their time and just be really invested in relationships mm-hmm. and conversations with you. So you yeah. can, for the most part, probably pretty easily wean that list down to, it's like, okay, I know these people care about my cause based mm-hmm. on their actions. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, and... Yeah. and to clarify impactful gifts, the way I take that is, yeah, big checks mm-hmm. or consistency. Yeah, longevity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. because a consistent donation monthly, you get enough of those, your strategy of serving your mission is different. Absolutely. Because you have yeah. reliable money coming in mm-hmm. that, you know, even if it's 50 bucks or 20 bucks a month, okay, mm-hmm. well, at the end of the year, you, you know, have you enough have people so, doing that, it can change. The income yeah. of, a, of an organization, absolutely. Yeah. And I, th- I thought of that, too, when you were saying with a client who was saying, well, okay, I can't give $100 right now, so what can I do? Mm-hmm. Another strategy to that be, well, can you give $25 per month? And, mm-hmm. th- and that feels so little per month, but that starts to add up really, really quickly. And like Steve said, like that changes the strategy for the nonprofit then, too, mm-hmm. where they know this money is coming in, and that's... Absolutely. You, you have a more reliable and supporter. And the other thing, too, if you think on a psychological level where this is an amazing point, is say you put somebody on an automatic debit every month. Churches do this. Your your cell phone does it. Your 401k contributions do it. You just get used to that money coming out, and you forget about it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, okay, whatever, like, oh, I donated 600 bucks to this charity, or I donated $12,000, or whatever the number is, you feel that that's a part of your life, and yep. it's, it becomes sticky. Yep. Like yep. these people don't often change that. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way just to get somebody started small, put them automated because mm-hmm. they want to do that, and then they have that connection there. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to respect your, your time today. So if we can dive into one topic um, before sure. we get out of here is if a nonprofit wants to go down this path and work with someone like yourself, mm-hmm. now we're not talking an individual, we're talking about a strategy yes. of working with individuals mm-hmm. and their overall funds mm-hmm. to create this stability. What's one or two things that they can do to take actionable steps? Like in my head, the first thought was like, okay, find somebody to sit on your board. Mm-hmm. Like, because first you got to become knowledgeable, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or you can do what I do in a lot of cases, you know, not know something about somebody, you know, a specific skill set hire somebody it takes eight months to realize oh that was a bad hire because i didn't have enough knowledge to even judge them on their work you know um it's never happened um 
<laughs> so, I mean, what would your advice be for somebody to take actionable steps towards this path? Because it, it's, it's a game changer. I mean, anybody who, like everybody says, I wish we could be like Lily and we have all this money and then we can just give it out and blah, blah, blah. It's like they started with a conversation mm-hmm. that we're having right here yeah. to be able to have a strategy to generate enough money. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, obviously they have a business behind it, yeah. but it their family had to, yeah. Shares, I mean, that kind of yeah. does help. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of helps a little bit. Yeah. A conversation but the yeah. point is they had to start somewhere. Absolutely. With yeah. that strategy. I mean, what would yeah. you recommend? There's a few things. I think not-for-profits versus for-profits not-for-profits have a very big disadvantage compared to the for-profit system. So the biggest thing, if you make a comparison, um, and I'm going to talk about they have to have this vision and a want to make this outcome a potential. I want to impact these people. I want to help this cause. Um, I have a book I went and saw um, Scott Harrison talk about the Thirst Project where they drill wells over in third-world countries to create you know, drinking water for these people that don't mm-hmm. have it. Um, that vision that he had, it takes forever to make that happen. And what happens in the not-for-profit world where you don't have forever? Yeah. I mean, you take Amazon, for example. Amazon came out and said, we are going to not make money for six, seven, eight years because we're building this system, this infrastructure to make this vision of ours come true. Nobody on Wall Street cares. We're going to give them a pass, and their stock's just going to appreciate it. So like it, like it has been. I'm not saying that it will, but it had in the past. Um, but you take a charity who wants to go implement this dream. Like, I want to do this, but I need to put $100,000 of our capital to this project. And it fails? Your reputation is toast yep. in a matter of three to six months. Mm-hmm. We give for-profits so much time consideration to make things happen none for for or not for profits there's there's a pretty big um news article what was it maybe two or three years ago when they're talking about the actual percentages of not-for-profits and charities that go out to the cause right a number of years ago it's escaping me but like for example uh the susan b komen foundation uh that one was the percentage again Forgive me if I'm wrong, but say it's 60% of all donations go out to trying to find a cure for breast cancer. 40% of it is administrative. Okay, that's people were harping all over that. But what you're trying to do is find the right talent who's going to push an image, but you want to underpay them because people are going to be so hard on you if you pay somebody in the not-for-profit world a livable high salary to try to make this cause happen. You're not allowed to advertise because you can't put that much money into advertising because that money needs to go towards the cause. So you're hamstringing not-for-profits because of the perception of what society thinks about that. But we give for-profits all that free consideration all the time to do so. Um, and two, it's, there's a perception as well about what people should do for not-for-profits. Did you see the story about the uh, Australian wildfires and Jeff Bezos' donation? He gave almost three quarters of a million dollars to wildfire aids. He was ostracized for it mm-hmm. because it was only three quarters of a million dollars. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. So you're putting all the con- how people perceive what charities yeah. do at a big disadvantage. 
So you're trying to get people to have this vision to create things and you're already at a downside. And then you have a tax code that was just recently passed where they raised the, uh, the standard deduction for people. So it's, very, it's a lot harder for the average family to realize a financial benefit for giving to charities. Yeah. So you're not taking away the advantage, it's just how it's told they're losing the advantage. Yeah. Not really accurate. Yeah. Um, so people think that's like, well, why should I give when I don't get anything out of it? So it makes it harder for people to do so. So any way we can find easier ways for somebody to give 25 bucks a month or sit down and have that conversation with a meaningful person, yeah. I think that's the way they're really going to start making some headway. Yeah. Okay. So well, I appreciate really that. really long-winded answer. No, but that's good. I mean, that's, those are actual things. Yeah. You know, but would you recommend a nonprofit finding somebody with your skill set to get on it? Like, do you think that that is a good board position? For nonprofit, when I say nonprofit, I'm talking schools, traditional nonprofits, and churches. Because mm-hmm. I know you work with a lot of churches. Yeah. Um, would you say that that's an accurate start, so they can at least have that mindset amongst their strategy members? Ultimately, yes. Whether they have it up front, um, most not for profits will probably start with somebody having a vision they want to do, yeah. and they're able to do some type of fundraising to get that going and that's going to get it up and running start getting the message out to people but when you start taking that next step of we want to accelerate giving we want to accelerate our mission then you need certain people on there of expertise to help fill in the voids of the founders you know vision so and and i'm specifically referencing you know investing Mm -hmm. in certain proper ways for long term Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'm right. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because like, I'll give an example of one of the churches that I work with. Um, everybody typically thinks how we grow investments or endowments or foundations is it's just the old typical traditional buy a mutual fund, buy a stock, and we just hold and let it go. Some institutions do that and they never touch it ever again. Um, they don't ever plan for it. They don't strategize around what the point of this money is. How can we accelerate this growth? Or how do we spit the money off to the foundation of the charity? And, and it doesn't really ever come to a point where they're seeing the financial resource or how it eases things up. Some things I've talked to people about is you have these large endowments, okay, and it's spitting off a certain amount of money. Well, when you start communicating that value to it and how people can fund the endowment, it really comes back to the concept of what's more important. Is it the chicken or the egg? And it's such a remedial topic, but do we have people more fund foundations and endowments for those charities that's going to grow and spit more money off each and every year as that grows to help fund and offset shortfalls in budgets or to expand mission work? Then like, we just got to have people give us to, you know, every year you just got to write a check, write a check, yep. write a check. Well, sooner or later, one of the downfalls of charities is you ask too often, too much. And when you ask, because people typically will start, the more and more you ask, they don't want to say no, so they give less. And then they give less, and they give less. So it's like, do you want to run as a situation where you have this vision and goal that I want to do this for the society, but because I'm asking too many people the same amount of times, just for the short, like, you're going to start to push people away and not give, and then you're going to fail. Or do you have them do both? And then you're building an endowment that's going to start kicking off money as it grows. That's going to take the pressure off you needing to ask, 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 ask. Because people want to give. They don't want to be hounded. Yep. So trying to find that balance is, yep. yeah. Yeah. Spamming <laughs> tends to be okay in the nonprofit <laughs> space. 
I say that with an asterisk. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's like the no, one industry. Like, oh, we're we're a nonprofit. We can spam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like not not that, exactly how that it's works. Not they, received they, just as well as a, any yeah. other industry or company. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. well, I appreciate you, yeah. you stopping by and mm-hmm. you know sharing your wisdom. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's a valuable thing, especially moving forward. Um, and anybody who knows me knows that uh, stability for a nonprofit is really important to me. And mm-hmm. uh, you brought up some good points. I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours on in on strategies and absolutely you know yeah. the you know, as you put them a handcuffs that are on you know nonprofits based mm-hmm. off of uh perception of what should be versus the reality of the logical way to operate mm-hmm. a business because a nonprofit is a business mm-hmm. it's not uh it's a business of making people's lives better <laughs> but we don't see it that way yeah. and the more and more people can realize that and then find people who can help you do what you want. I mean, yeah. you can change. Everybody always said, like, um, you talk to a lot of people when they're young. It's like, well, what do you want to do in your life? Or what's your life? So like, I want to change the world. That's okay. I like that. <laughs> um, but how are you going to do that? Yeah. And the easiest thing is find something that's meaningful to you and change somebody around you that's helping mm-hmm. with that. Yep. There's already change a lot them. of people trying to change the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. First, let's yeah. make sure we're not reinventing the wheel and exactly. make an impact where you can. You right. technically don't have to wipe all the water or the trash out of the oceans. You can change the world for the person around you and then that yeah. person around you. That's changing their world. So mm-hmm. let's change what we think how that means and make that mm-hmm. big of an impact. Yeah. Because yeah. charities like and not-for-profits, they do amazing, amazing good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's keep them doing that by getting them educated and around the right people to make that happen. Yep. Yep. I like it. Well, you can definitely tell that you're very passionate about this, which we of course love to see. And (laughs) yeah. And I know you don't want to do a ton of self promotion, but just quickly, where can people find you and your business? Um, we don't do a lot of social media, but you can find us at uh, fiagconsulting.com. There's a lot of information about there, what we do and how we serve and the people we work with. So awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming in. We enjoyed talking to you. See ya. You too, buddy. All right. Take care. (laughs) Thank you.